Good morning, church. Good morning. Great to be with you. Hey, just want to uh, let you know of a couple things that are going on that uh, you are invited into. The first is uh, this. For the next three Wednesdays, uh, right in this room at 6.30 p.m., we're going to do uh, a short-term group, uh, and it's going to be on faith. We, we launched in uh, in January of this year talking about faith. We kind of have a sense that that's something that the Lord is leading us into just stepping out and trusting him. And so what we want to do for the next three weeks is we want to get together and talk about it and dialogue and mix it up. So 6.30 p.m. Uh, for the next three Wednesdays. If you can't make everyone come to the ones that you can, we're going to gather together. We'll probably do like maybe 10 minutes of a, a powwow together. We'll talk about faith and kind of remind us what we're talking about that night. And then we're going to break you up into groups and uh, we'll have a kind of a guided discussion for you. So if you've never been in a small group here, you are especially invited to join us. Uh, we will have childcare provided. We want there to be no obstructions to getting you here. So uh, Wednesday, uh, starting this Wednesday and for the next three weeks, 6.30 p.m., uh, I think you can sign up, but you don't really need to because um, we don't need to know how many are coming. We'll, we're going to figure it out on Wednesday and break everybody into groups, but that will be fun and you are invited to do that. Um, also, next thing is this, baby and child dedications, May 21st. If you have a, a baby or child who uh, you would like to dedicate, then sign up in the back. We do need you to sign up for that. And um, actually, it's more of uh, dedicating you as parents and then a little bit your kids too. But that's May 21st coming up. Okay, so uh, we did launch uh, this year talking about faith. And I told you throughout the course of this year, we're going to kind of check back into that series. And so we're back in our By Faith series for the next three weeks. And um, if you want to join us, in, in uh, the scriptures will be in uh, Hebrews 11 again this morning. So that's kind of our, our uh, text for the year that we'll be um, jumping in and out of. Okay, so as you turn there, you can grab it on your phones or however you do that. Um, have you ever noticed that when you love a person, you tend to over time grow to love what they love and to get involved in the things that they love? And the more significant the, re the relationship that you're in with a person means the more you're going to get drawn in to the thing that that person loves. When you love someone, over time, you generally grow to love what they love. I've got uh, two daughters who have recently gotten um, mixed up in track and field, and they love it. Now, historically for me, I've never been a track and field guy. I did it in seventh grade, and what I realized was if I'm not chasing something, it's hard for me to run real fast. I need to chase a ball of some kind, and that's, I was a ball sport guy. But, um, so never really been to track meets, never like been in that scene, but now because I love my daughters, I have grown to love what they love simply because I'm with them. And wherever they go, I go. And if they're going to track meets, I'm going to track meets. It's just the way that human relationships work. And so here, here's the deal. This has just been like, actually this year was the first time my girls got into track. Um, one of the you know, common words that we pass around in my home right now is, uh, well, it's not a word, it's, an, it, it's, uh, it's two letters. It's PR. Right? And I never, PR was never a word that came up in my life before, but now it's, it's coming up quite frequently. A PR is a personal record, which in track is a good thing. 
uh, I know now what a, what a pretty good time is in the mile, in the 800, in the 400. I, I, I know, like, what, wow, that's a really good time. Like, six months ago, I didn't, I didn't know. And I didn't care. But I do now. I know that it attract me when there's a third call for something. You better get your booty to the event because you're going to miss it. Because third call means, hey, we're about ready to start the event. I know now what it looks like when someone starts their race too fast and I can tell, oh no, this person is going to fade. They put too much energy in at the beginning. It's not going to last. I also know what it looks like when someone methodically starts too slow and waits too long to turn it on because they might finish really well, but they're never going to catch up. Like I have eyes to see that now. I didn't before, but I do. I know I know some things about track and field now, only because I love two girls who love track. So now I know track. We tend to get into the things that those whom we love are into. So this morning, what we're going to see in Hebrews 11 is we're going to see that there was a guy named Abraham who loved God. And because Abraham loved God, Abraham begins to love what God loves. And he gets swept into the things that God loves, simply because Abraham loves God. We're introduced to this. I'm not going to read this because we've read it quite a bit here. And maybe you get tired of me reading Genesis chapter 12, which in Genesis chapter 12, Um, What we read regarding what God loves and what God is passionate about is God is passionate about reaching and rescuing lost people. The world is a train wreck from Genesis 3 all the way through Genesis 11. And God's heart is breaking for lost humanity. God is into reaching people the same way that my girls are into track and field. Actually, God is more into rescuing the world than my girls are into track. And because Abraham loves God, Abraham gets swept into this rescuing the world mission that God is eager and set upon. And so Abraham joins God in this world rescuing mission and And we see in Genesis 12, and we see it reiterated in Hebrews 11 as we talk about him, that this mission that Abraham is swept into with God, the one he loves, it is a by faith mission. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and here is what we read. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And Abraham, in response to God's call, Abraham, join me in this world-rescuing mission. God says, I've got a plan. I'm hatching it. I'm getting it started right now. And You're going to join me in it. Abraham's like, God, I love you. If you're into rescuing the world, I am in. And it's by faith. And so then Abraham gets going without knowing where he's going. This is going to be a by faith mission. Going without knowing. Anybody like that? Anybody want to be told, hey, here's here's where you're going to go. And your first question is, 
Why am I going? Why am I going? Where am I going? We got like 15 questions. And if someone just said to you, no, just go, you're going you're gonna to get going without knowing. We have a hard time with that. It requires faith. Let me put it like this. Suppose, right, we, when we love someone, we get swept into the things that that person loves. We grow to love what the people that we love, love. Let's say that I was in a significant relationship with a chef. Me, like someone who loves to cook, okay? Going without knowing. If I was in a significant relationship with someone whom I loved who was a chef, I would probably find myself cooking a lot more than I do now. Because the person that I love loves to cook, I would then, in joining them in relationship, I would join them in cooking, right? Because we get drawn into the things that the people we love are into. And suppose there's one night where I am drawn into the mission of making dinner with my chef friend. And, um, and because my chef friend is the expert here, I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. I'm joining in. I'm not running the 800 race. I'm just there as an observer and a cheerer, right? And so I'm with the chef, and the chef says, hey, Brian, um, I need you to, can you take care of the veggies? They're in the skillet. Can you just like stir them? Like, okay, I can do that. I can take my cues from the chef, and I walk over to the stove, and I'm, I'm just stirring the veggies from time to time as the chef is instructing me. And I love the chef, and the chef is an expert, and I trust them. And then at some point, the chef says to me, hey, Brian, right next to the stove there is, um, is a little container of fennel. Anybody like fennel? It's an herb. Nobody likes it. Okay, I, who cares? Okay, Brian, add, add the fennel. Add the fennel into the veggies. Okay, and, um, and I, I'm a curious individual, and I might say as I'm stirring, like, well, why? Um, why are we adding fennel into the veggies? Because most of y'all don't like it, right? So it, maybe it's a good question. Why would I add fennel into these vegetables. And then suppose the chef says to me, well, because, um, well, Brian, because the fennel is going to add some umami to the vegetables. Now, I don't know if fennel adds umami as a flavor to anything, but let's not get lost on that. All of you cooks in the house, just pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Okay, so the chef says, add the fennel into the vegetables because it adds umami. And at that point, I can, I can do it. I could do the thing and keep stirring the vegetables. Or I could have some more questions. And suppose I go with the question round and I say, well, hold on on the fennel for a second because I know a little bit about umami. I know you're the chef expert, but I, I know that mushrooms also add the flavor of umami to specific dishes that you're cooking. Why would we not hold off on the fennel? Why wouldn't we add some mushrooms instead to get the umami into the vegetables? And like me, now me and the chef are in a dialogue. And then the chef, like, and the chef's doing their thing, right? And they would have to say, well, Brian, a couple things. One, because th- this meal doesn't, like, go, we're not going in the mushroom direction, number one. Number two, we don't have mushrooms, so we couldn't add that in. Right now, mushrooms, I get it. Mushrooms, yes, Brian, do add umami, but, but that's not where we're going. We're just going to add the fennel. And then, at that point, I could add the fennel and just start stirring, right? Or I could say, well, hold on, I know we don't have mushrooms, but... I, I'm not an expert chef, but I know that soy sauce is in the umami category. Why don't we hold off on the fennel and let's pour some soy sauce in there to add some umami into the vegetables? Right? At that point, then now, now the chef is like engaged with me. They're doing their thing. I'm supposed to do mine. But now they have to explain, well, Brian, because 
We're not going in like a soy sauce direction with this. We're not going like Asian flair. We're going somewhere else. And so we're just going to, we're going to add the fennel into the vegetables. And then, right, I, I, the veggies are burning at this point. They're moving and tending towards, at the very least, overcooked. And what I could have done from the beginning is I could have just gotten going without knowing. I could have started adding the fennel in, trusting my chef friend, whom I love, who the, is the expert on umami and vegetables. Could have done the thing. But I've turned it into something altogether different. And now we're over cooking the thing and we've got, all right, it's just, it's not a going without knowing kind of dinner cooking experience here. In order to get going without knowing, we've got to be in a loving relationship with someone that we trust. And when we trust someone and love them, we are invited into following and taking their cues without having to know all the things or give all of our opinions. And so when God says to Abraham, this is what he does in Genesis 12, Abraham, I'm going to need you to leave Haran. I know it's your home, I know that's where you're set up and things are going pretty good there, but we're going to leave there and we're going to go over to this new land and we're going to start this mission to rescue the world. And Abraham could have had 15 questions about God, why are we going to, why are we going to Canaan? Why don't we go to somewhere else, like South Africa, where we're segregated from the world and we can have like our own little commune and not be bothered by people? Like, why are we going to Canaan? It's in the middle of everything. We're going to be bothered by lots of people, right? Like Abraham could have engaged with God in the way that I engaged with the chef in the dinner preparations. But what, what we're told here is that Abraham had faith. And because he had faith, Abraham got going from where he was without necessarily knowing a whole bunch of things. All that Abraham knew was this, that he loved God and God was passionate about rescuing the world. And Abraham says, well, I love God and that means I love the things that God loves. God, you want me to leave here to go here? I will get going without knowing a whole lot of things. That's what Abraham does and that's what faith calls us Two, it's what God calls us to. Right back, back to verse eight again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. You could also read in there, like you could cross off inheritance and read possession. God is giving and gifting Abraham and his offspring a a land that is suitable for a nation. And at this point, like maybe our ears start to perk up. Like when we join God in the things that he is doing, he gives us stuff? Like that's a lot of land right there. And it's, and it's a good land. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's verdant and green. It's, it's just an awesome place. If God gives possessions to those who join him, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be blessed by God? And we say, well, if, Abraham, if Abraham's going to get blessed by God, then God bless me. Bless me, God. Bless, bless me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. I'll take some of that too. I would love some of this blessing that you're pouring out. 
But one extra thing that we got to point out here that I think we, we so often miss this is that, um, is that there has to be a leaving before there can be a receiving. The leaving of Abraham's home is what comes first. And then he makes this epic journey to go to the place that he is going to receive. I think if, like, if I'm honest with you and if I uh, have a sense for maybe where many of our hearts are positioned, what we want from God is we want to stay in all the places in life that we are. We want to stay stuck. And stuck isn't always a good thing. But we would love to stay stuck and comfortable where we are and receive blessings from God. But what we learn here is that right, in order for there to be a receiving of the promised land, first and foremost there must be a leaving of something in order to walk into the thing that God has for us as his people. Right? Jesus says whoever loses his life, there's a leaving there, there's a loss, there's a laying down. Whoever, his loses, whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Will find it. There must be a laying down before there can be a receiving and a picking up. Going without knowing, leaving before receiving. And what Abraham does, throughout the course of his journeys with God, he travels, we'll say, at the minimum, 1,500 miles with his family, with his tents, with his flocks, with all the things that Abraham's got going on. We're going to call it a at least 1,500-mile journey. And that's from the time that he starts journeying with his dad from Ur to Haran, and then Haran to the Promised Land, and the Promised Land to Egypt, and Egypt back to the Promised Land. Abraham is on a by-faith adventure, and he's logging a bunch of miles. And it's this constant pattern of leaving in order to be receiving. It's a constant going without knowing. He's been swept up in a love relationship with God into the things that God is passionate about, and it is a by faith adventure. In verse 9, by faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise okay when we think about blessing we tend to think of upgrades right whatever car you were driving if god's going to bless you with a car you get an upgrade if you're living in an apartment or a house or wherever you live and then god were to bless you with a different apartment or different house we would tend to think of a blessing as an upgrade it's going to be better nicer bigger cooler whatever the thing is but better but what we learn here about what Abraham has been called into is that he gets called into living in tents as a foreigner in a foreign land. He's living as an outsider. Abraham has to say goodbye to everything. His extended family, the culture that he has grown comfortable in, his f- friends that he's amassed over a number of years he has to say goodbye to all of that in order to go be an outsider in a land where he's living in tents that seems to be a downgrade does that sound like a blessing well if we could bring abraham back i think this would be abraham's testimony he would say this yes it was such a blessing because i was on an epic ride 
with the one that I love, entering into the things that he is passionate about, oh, that was so good. Leaving all that stuff, yeah, it wasn't easy, it was hard, but man, getting swept up into the mission of God with God, woohoo, that's a blessing, so good. Didn't get an upgrade in terms of like physical things, at least initially. God blessed him over time, for sure. But he's an outsider and a foreigner, and he is living in tents, and he said goodbye to everything that he has known. But the blessing comes in being with the one that you love, God, doing and joining God in the things that he is doing, and that's rescuing the world. Just a couple weeks ago, I was at a track meet, and uh, it was, I don't know, it was like 30 degrees, and it was like a mixture between rain, hail, and snow coming down from the heavens. And I was underdressed for the event, <laughs> as I typically am. And, uh, and it, was, it was just, it was darn cold. But being there was a blessing. I mean, I downgraded my physical surroundings and circumstances. I could have been at home in a warm place. I would have rather, I could have been in a car. thought about going to the car several times. Um, that would have been nice as a reprieve from the cold. But like sitting there in those bleachers at the track meet getting pelted by, I don't even know what meteorological term it would be, but cold, wet things. It was a blessing. It was a blessing. It was still so good. Why? Because I love the girls running around that track. And I'm swept up in the mission like, come on, girl, you got it. Keep going. Keep going. You got it. Keep going. Right? That's fun. That's exciting. That's invigorating. I had downgraded in my physical circumstances, but I had upgraded in my mission because the ones that I loved were out there and I got swept in. And Abraham just gets swept into this thing that God is doing. And he's not getting all the things right now. He's intense and he's an outsider and he's a foreigner. But Abraham says, oh man, that was such a blessing to be on mission with God, doing what God is about. Verse 10. This is regarding Abraham. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, like real and substantial foundations, not the shifting sands that our empires are built upon in all of their various forms. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham had had enough of society and life that is built on not God. He had seen it, he had experienced it, and he's like, I am through with that. God, I love you, and I want to be a part of whatever you are doing. I am in. You talk about tents, right? Abraham says, I am in. Being a foreigner in a strange land, Abraham says, I am in. Because God, if you're building the thing, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. In the scriptures, there's a... There's a pattern that we see again and again and again. It's all through Hebrews chapter 11. And the pattern is this, that at various stages of the story that God is working in this world, in his rescue mission, there are different things that God is passionate about that he is intent upon doing at different parts of the story. And at different parts of the story where God is like passionate about different things, there's different people on the scene. And so God is passionate about something, and then he surveys the land for the people who are in relationship with him, and then he grabs people, and he says, join me, and he brings them in to the thing that he is passionate about doing, right? And here, here would be an example of that. 
right? In Genesis chapter 12, where we are this morning, God is passionate about rescuing a lost and broken world. And then, so what he does is he grabs Abraham, who he's in relationship with. He says, Abraham, I need all of you to join with me in all that I am doing right now. And then, so what Abraham does is he brings all of himself into all of the mission of God. And what, is, what does it mean to bring all of Abraham in to the mission that God is passionate about at that moment? Well, here's the thing about Abraham. Like, talk about Abraham's identity, like who God made Abraham to be. We're all made, we say this around here quite a bit, uniquely and magnificently to do unique and magnificent things. Okay, so God's doing his thing, and he sees, like, where, where are my people? Who's in relationship with me? And he grabs us, and he brings all of us into all that he is doing. So, so who's Abraham? Well, boy, it really seems as if Abraham is a catalyst. He's a pioneer. Abraham's the guy that you want to send into some place where nobody's been yet, and Abraham's going to figure some stuff out. Like, most of us aren't wired that way, but Abraham is. So God's going to rescue the world. He needs a catalytic pioneer who's also a culture creator who has to form a family and then a people and then a nation who are going to live by faith so we need a pioneer catalyzer who is going to be a by faith culture creator who do i got god surveys and says abraham's my guy so god takes all of abraham and brings all of abraham into all of the mission and now we're often running in this by faith adventure. So in relationship, all of Abraham, that's catalyst, that's pioneer, that's culture creator on, for the sake of faith, a faith-oriented culture creator. In relationship, Abraham gets swept into what God is doing with all that he is, and it is an epic ride. Any story that you read in the scriptures... I don't care if it's about Moses or Esther or Ruth or who the human being is. Here's, here's the nutshell of that story. God is passionate about something. And he grabs people who are in relationship with him, who are uniquely and magnificently made for unique and magnificent, and he picks people out and says, I'm grabbing you for this mission, and then they bring all of themselves into all that God is doing in that present moment. And it is a by-faith mission, and that's how God's rescue plan moves forward. That's how we receive blessing. That's how other people are blessed. Right? Take Esther, for example. Uh, it, if you're familiar with the book of Esther in the Old Testament, um, talk about leaving before there can be receiving. Esther is called to leave her uncle Mordecai in order to then receive or to go to the king. Leave uncle, go to the king. Esther is called to leave her home in order to go to the palace. It's the call that God has on her life. Esther, you're going to have to get going from the comfortable place where you are. You're among your people. You're among your extended family. You're going to have to leave, get going from the comfortable, and you're going to have to get go, going into the unknowing, but the unknowing is going to be risky. It's going to get a little scary from time to time. It's going to be a risky venture. Your life will be on the line at various points, but I need you to get going from comfort to get into the risky place, okay? This is just a pattern in the scriptures, and Esther is there. 
in why. Why does Esther have to leave all of these things to get drawn into these new places? Well, because in the book of Esther, here's why. Because God is passionate about rescuing his people, Israel. They're coming up against a tremendous foe who wants to annihilate them, and God is passionate about that not happening. And so God wants to deliver his people. That's what God's passionate about in the book of Esther. I'm going to deliver my people, God says. And now he's in a relationship with some people. And he surveys and he says, now, who, right, I'm going to grab my people and bring them into this mission because they love me and I love them and they grow to love what I love. They're going to grow to be a part of this. They're going to love this mission too. He grabs Esther and says, Esther, I need you, girl. I need you. In the same way that I needed Abraham in Genesis 12, Esther, I need you. You know why he needed Esther? Because Esther is an advocate. An advocate is someone who stands in between of two parties, and one party needs advocated for, and she's going to represent the people of God to the king, and she's going to be like in this priestly role of the stand-between. Esther is going to live out this crazy, awesome, God-given identity that he's put inside of her. And so God says, I need all, I need 100% of an advocate here. And Esther says, okay, I guess I'm in. Add fennel to the vegetables. Esther's like, oh, 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 all right, let's do it. Let's do it. Come on, God, let's do it. And Esther, the advocate, gets swept in to this story, and she does just that. She advocates for her people. God brings rescue to his people, and he does it with Esther, who's been swept into the mission of God because she loves God. She's passionate about the things that God is passionate about and joins him. Now, just want to say that we need to be careful here. Because anytime we talk about going without knowing and leaving before there can be a receiving and this by faith epic adventure that God is going to lead us into, this loving relationship where we join in with his mission, the, the danger here is that we might over... Ah, i got to be careful here. The danger is that we might overdo this in the wrong way. Meaning that what, we, what maybe we're thinking right now is, well... Abraham traveled 1,500 miles when God called him. So we get out our little protractor and our compass and we start drawing a line. All right, God, what's 1,500 miles from me right now? I got to go far when God draws near. Meaning if God's going to meet with me tonight, if God's going to give me a dream tonight and it's like specially reveal something to me, then we think, well, that's, that's going to mean he's calling me to go at least 1,500 miles away. Because Abraham didn't have airplanes. He just had his feet We've got planes. We can get further faster. We're going to have to go to the other side of the world. Or if not that, we think, well, if God's going to show up and God's passionate about this and he sees all of me and wants to draw all of me and all of my identity, all of my giftings into what he's doing, then maybe not go to the other side of the world, but at least I need to like change jobs. For sure, he's going to call me to change my job. Or, or he's going to call me to like leave my house and go to a different neighborhood or change my job. Like we, sometimes we think about leaving with, like going without knowing or leaving before receiving. We don't think about it rightly all the time. We overthink it and sometimes we overdo it. For sure, God is not asking you to leave your spouse. And I see that sometimes. God shows up in a person's life 
and they, oh, tragically and horrifyingly think to themselves, in order for me to be faithful to the things that God is calling me to, I got to leave my spouse. Stop it. Don't know. That is not God. That's, that's your brokenness trying to make God say something that you want him to say. Stop it. Right? That's, so we got to be real careful with this going without knowing, leaving before receiving. I just want to give you a couple biblical examples here just to, just to let you know that there's some grounding here. Abraham moved 1,500 miles, but not all of us are going to be moving 1,500 miles to join in with what God is doing. Think about David in 1 Samuel. Um, David uh, undertakes a journey, and we're going to call it a 200-meter journey where David gets going without knowing, he's leaving before receiving, and it's 200 meters. And because I'm into track right now, a 200-meter journey will, will take somebody roughly like 25 seconds. It's different than 1,500 miles. It's not far. It's not a geographic wonder to move 200 meters. But, but here's what David has to do. He's got to move 200 meters to go engage Goliath at the battle line. That's a big journey. It's a short distance, but it's a big journey. Because here's what everybody else is doing. All the armies of God are hanging out, and they are scared, and they are nervous, and they are self-soothing. And that gets to become a culture that you can get swept into. But remember, Abraham was a culture creator, and the culture creator that God called him to create was a by-faith family. And so, like, hundreds of years later, the nation is in the promised land. They're there. They're supposed to be living out this culture of faith and trust in God. At this moment, they're not doing it. But everybody's comfortable being scared and nervous and, oh, no, and how hard life is for us. And, oh, it's so sad that our circumstances are so bad. And they're there. When is God actually going to show up? And, oh, things are so horrible. A culture is created among God's people, the armies of God's people here. And David is right there with them. Now, David's going to have to get going from that without necessarily knowing all that's going to happen when he moves away. He's going to have to start leaving that in order to start receiving the victory that God is longing to bring his people. And that's exactly what David does. He goes out to the battle line going without knowing. He's leaving this sad, scared, depressed, woe is me army behind to go and to leave that. He leaves that to receive the victory that God wants to bring his people. It was only a 200-meter journey, but it was actually quite an epic distance that he traveled. Does it make sense? Make sense? Here's another example. Right? We don't always have to move to the other side of the world. Sometimes God will call some of us to do that, but it's not always an epic journey. This the journey then Acts chapter 16 is actually significantly less than 200 meters that David traveled. Way less than 200 meters. In Acts chapter 16, um, there's a leaving and a receiving. There's a going without knowing. Um, and the context here is that Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi have been imprisoned. And unjustly so. It's like they're thrown in prison. They ought not be. And it's uh, injustice to a T, but that's where they are, in a prison, in chains. And then verse 25 happens. This is crazy. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Doesn't sound like uh, being in prison is a blessed place, but for Paul and Silas it was. Do you know why it was a blessed place? 
because the one that they love is there with them, and they're, they're just joining in, and they're happy to be a part of the party, even in the prison cell. So Paul and Silas are praying, they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Like, how are these people worshiping and joyful in this place? These guys are nuts. And then verse 26, here's where it gets crazy. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. The prison shakes so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's bonds, chains were unfastened. Now, you put me in those circumstances, I'm just being honest here. You put me in prison unjustly, I'm going to feel a certain way about that. And then when God sends an earthquake and the prison doors start opening and my chains start falling off, I'm going to take that as an immediate sign that the Lord is calling me to get going from the prison cell without knowing, just get out. We'll figure it out later. But I know at that point, based on what we've talked about, that there needs to be a leaving, a leaving of the prison in order for there to be a receiving of freedom and walking into the freedom that God is now obviously inviting me and you into. But Paul and Silas don't leave. They could. But they don't. They stay seated. Because in this moment, God does not want Paul and Silas to take a geographic journey. 1,500 miles, 200 meters, God's like, no, I want you to just keep your butts right in the exact same spot they were before the earthquake, before the prison doors flung open, before your chains fell off, keep your butts right there. And Paul and Silas are like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. The epic move of faith here in Acts 16 is to stay in prison. In verse 27, this happens. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This Philippian jailer knows that if he doesn't perform his duty, and not performing his duty as prisoners escape, he might as well take his own life because they're going to take it for him. And at that point, Paul sees this and Paul's like, whoa, stop, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't kill yourself. Paul intervenes. And the jailer's like, what in the world? Why are you still here? What are you doing here? And then Paul begins to explain. Right? And here's what's going on in Acts chapter 16. Remember I said God's passionate about different things and different movements of the story? Right here in Acts chapter 16, what God is passionate about is rescuing this Philippian jailer and his family. God's pumped about it. That's what God's into in Acts chapter 16. That's what he's thinking about. That's what God's like, yeah, let's rescue that jailer. Let's get him. Let's get him. Let's let's save him. Let's bring him into the family. He needs it. His wife needs it. His kids need it. Let's, Let's grab them all. That's what God is up to. And then Paul and Silas, in relationship with the one that they love, recognize in this moment that they were made to be bond servants of Jesus. They're slaves of Jesus who then have the opportunity to set others free. They stayed put, but there was a leaving. 
They kept their butts in the prison. But what they left was their desire for freedom in the way that they had traditionally defined freedom. And there was a receiving. And the receiving was that they received this intense joy that comes from joining with God and seeing others set free. This Philippian jailer comes to Jesus. And then his whole family comes to Jesus. And he's baptized. And there's this celebration, right, that breaks out. The party breaks out in Acts chapter 16. And it's only because Paul and Silas left their desire to be free and stayed as bonded slaves in prison, even when they could have run. But they left that in order to enter into the thing that God was doing, and they knew in that moment, no, God's not inviting us to leave here. He's inviting us to choose to stay as bond servants who set others free. And at that point, it was their choice to stay. And there was, for Paul and Silas, a going without knowing. There was a going away from what made sense. Earthquake shakes, prison doors open, bonds come off. What makes sense is get out of there, go somewhere else, anywhere else. So they got going away from what made sense in order to stay put. A going without knowing. What's going to happen if they stay in jail? I don't know. I'm not sure. We just know that God's got a mission here and he wants us to lean into it. And we're just going to, we're going to run this race as far as it goes and we'll take what comes. God says, you know what? You get going away from what makes sense. That's running from the jail. And if you stay put and join me, even not knowing what's going to happen in the prison in the next several moments, God says, just, just watch. It's going to be so good. It's going to be good. It's going to, it's going to feel like a blessing in those moments. Why? Because Paul and Silas love God. And because they love God, they love what God loves. It means they love this Philippian jailer. They love his family. They're all in. They're all in for the mission and it's so good. This is the by faith invitation that God presents to all of us to bring all of who we are into all of the things that he is doing in this epic relationship where we love him and he loves us. It is a by faith adventure. Band, come on back up. We're going to sing. And uh, might I pray for us... Uh, Yeah, as we continue to worship, Father in heaven, um, thank you for loving us, which then opened a door for us to love you. And Father, in relationship with you, um, Father, thank you for inviting us into the things that you love and for making us uniquely and magnificently to bring all of ourselves into all that you are doing and to experience the joy that comes from that. To experience the thrill of trusting you and dumping the fennel into the vegetables, not even, not knowing, just trusting, seeing where it goes. And Father, I pray that you would put that posture of trust and reliance in our hearts to just follow in and to trust you with that. And Father, we invite you to we invite you to do so.
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.